Ooh, this message is heavy. Is that okay? Are you guys okay with a heavy message today? It's not heavy because it's like, um, like it's like fire and brimstone. It's heavy because of the weight of it. And when I, um, when I refreshed this message, I said, "Wow, um, whoa!" So it's a heavy message. And this whole all morning, I've been wrestling uh, because of the weight of this, because it's what God is calling us to. Um, so we're going to continue our sermon series called "The Ark," uh, obviously meaning agape love, Rama word, koinonia fellowship, and. Uh, my boy gave a mega awesome, incredible message last week. So if you don't know about horse homies, you got you got to tune in and 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 hear all about it. Um, but he hit on Koinonia Fellowship and the value and the importance of us gathering together and how we need one another. Uh, I'm gonna take that same Koinonia Fellowship and we're gonna transition it instead of it making it linear. Um, I want to talk about the koinonia fellowship between us and God. So the title of this message is called, Do You See What I See? And this is why it's heavy. Um, Because it's a question of perspective. And um, I'm not, it's not the title of my message as in, I'm asking you, do you see what I see? Because that's, you know, that's just whatever. But what if I was to change the conversation and have it be like God asking us, do you see what I see? I see. That would change a lot, wouldn't it? That changes everything. And I believe that we will find out in Scripture that there are a lot of times where we don't see the way God sees. And so um, I want to do that, friends. Today, I want to change that conversation. I want to change our perspective. Um, And because when we change our perspective, it changes everything. For example, you know, we want to invest in this property not for its current reality, not for its current condition, not for what it is, but we want to invest in this property for what it can be, right? Right? Our building over on South and Broadway was a old Masonic temple, and if we just looked at it as a fellowship hall and as a cult practicing uh, facility, then that's all it would be, but we said, we're going to turn this into a house of worship, and do you know God shows up every Sunday because of the potential of that property? And in the same context, we're sitting in a place where animals used to eat food. And now we get to eat food of the word of God. (laughs) So that's, it's not what it, not seeing it for what it is, but seeing it for what it can be. And the majority of what, everything that I say today is based off of this passage of Scripture. Uh, it's found, I know I can't talk today. Uh, turn your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 8 through 23. Um, yeah. Ooh, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word today. And God, that's what we want to do. We, wanna, we want to, God, read your word together and learn and grow. And God, pull out everything that you spoke for us to, to become more like you and for us to be called up. And that's why you're sharing this with us, God. That's why you share these passages, to pull us up. We thank you for this in Jesus' name, amen. This is an awesome, awesome account here found in 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 8 through 23. You'll find it on the screens. We're going to be reading together out of the English Standard Version. Okay, if you have never uh, heard about 
Elisha or Elijah or any of those incredible prophets, you got to go back. You got to read Kings. Just powerful accounts of like what God was doing. So here in, in 2 Kings chapter 6, let's, let's step on the scene here, verse 8. It says, once uh, when the king of Syria, okay, okay, so just to give you a little background, okay, the Syri okay, Syria was at war with Israel. Say Syria, Syria. was at war with Israel. Okay, so that's the context. You have Israel and you have Syria, okay? Once when the king of Syria was warring against Israel, he took counsel with his servants saying, at such and such a place shall be my camp. But, say but, but. the man of God sent word to the king of Israel. <laughs> Beware that you do not pass this place for the Syrians are going down there. And the king of Israel sent to that place about which the man of God told him. Thus, he used to warn him so that he saved himself there more than once or twice. Verse 11. And the mind of the king of Syria was greatly troubled because of this thing. He called his servants and said to them, will you not show me which one of us uh, is for the king of Israel? What is he saying? Which one of your traitors? I've got a mole within my leadership. Which one of you are sharing the secrets to Israel? How many of us know if you're in that room and if you're in that meeting, that's scary. Somebody's dying, right? And if, and if, he, and if he was a cruel uh, and wicked king, he could just start you know, chopping off heads or however he decided to kill people until he f figured it out. So, so if you know, if you were in the council of the king of Syria, you were petrified, right? You were terrorized. Uh, verse 12, and one of his uh, servants said, no, my lord, O king, <laughs> none of us. But, I got this highlighted, Elisha the prophet who is in Israel tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. How many of us know the things you speak in your bedroom are the most sacred things you speak, right? right? The things that, that, that a spouse will tell to another spouse is stuff that you won't share with anyone else. The conversations Joy and I have on our bed, in our bedroom, are the sac are sacred conversations. They're not the ones that we have with dinner with everyone else, right? They're personal, they're intimate. So he's saying that, that there's a man in Israel that's telling your secrets. Verse 13, and he said, go and see where he is that I might send and seize him. He's like, let's shut this guy up. We need to grab him. It was, <laughs> you don't think, first off, if this guy is knowing all your secrets that he isn't gonna find out that you're gonna go try to seize him. Anyways, <laughs> side note. It was told him, behold, he is in Dothan. So now they're, they're, they're going after Elisha. So he sent their horses and chariots and a great army. Wow. Wow. A great army for one guy. And they came by night and surrounded the city. They're trying to sneak up on him. <laughs> this guy already knows everything. Maybe we'll catch him by night. <laughs> Verse 15, when the servant of the man of God, because back in those days, um, if you were a prophet, you usually would have a person that would like carry your clothes. They would go along with you. They would sometimes speak a message for you. They would, so, so that's what the servant, the servant was like a, like, a, like a study, like a pupil, like a disciple type of person. So, so Elisha, the prophet has a, they call him servant. Okay. So when the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, alas, my master, what shall we do? <laughs> we got to sneak out of here. 
<laughs> What's going on? Next, here, let's go on here. Verse 16. He said, it's Elisha speaking. Or Eli- yeah, Elisha. Do not be afraid, for I underlined this and highlighted this because we say this. And this is where we say this from. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Those who are for us are greater than those who are against us. Right? If you are in Christ, if you are of God, there are, there are hundreds of thousands, I don't know, maybe millions of angels, two-thirds of heaven still fighting for you and with you. Come on. Verse 17. So the servant was only seeing the enemy, but Elisha was seeing the Lord. Verse 17, then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man. Can you imagine that? Could you imagine you, your eyes actually being open and you seeing spiritually? Like, like what if I was to say, Lord, open all of our eyes today, and then we were just to open our eyes, and you would see angels and demons waging war in the heavenlies? Like, like wouldn't it, would, most of y'all would freak out. I would freak out. I mean, that, I mean be, right? It's just because we're not used to seeing stuff like that, even though that is going on right now. Because we, we only see in the natural realm. So he says, open their eyes, and he saw, behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. This is where that song says, it may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. Right? That song, we, we, I, love, I love the context of, of uh, the way people write songs nowadays, because they're not just writing flippant words. I mean, we really have a generation of people that are writing the Bible and putting them into lyrics. And so, so if you've ever sung that song, that's where, this is, that's where this comes from, right here. And when the Syrians came down against him, <laughs> one, verse, one verse an army, Elijah prayed to the Lord and said, right? I mean, come on, that's just like David. <laughs> He's like, you're not coming up against me, you're coming up against the Lord. Elijah prayed to the Lord and said, please strike this people with blindness, with blindness. So he struck them with blindness in accordance to the prayer of Elisha. What? Wow. If you think the Bible's boring, (laughs) what is wrong with you? You ain't reading the right stuff. Verse 19, and Elisha said to them, it is not, uh, this is not the way and this is not the city. Follow me and I will bring you to the man whom you are seeking. So the very man they're looking at, the Lord uh, struck them with blindness where they didn't see it was like a spiritual mask that he was wearing. And then Elisha is actually leading the army away from, from where he was at. It's crazy. That's right. <laughs> These are not the traits you're looking for. <laughs> That's so funny. Okay, and he led them to Samaria. Okay, I'll continue verse 20. As soon as they entered Samaria, Elisha said, Oh Lord, open the eyes of these men that they may see. So the Lord opened their eyes and they saw, and behold, they were in the midst of Samaria. As soon as the king of Israel saw them, he said to Elisha, My father, shall I strike them down? Shall I strike them down? He answered, you shall not strike them down. Would you strike down those whom you have taken captive with your sword and with your bow? Set bread and water before them that they may eat and drink and go to their master. We're not killing them. They're going to go tell everybody what just happened, right? So he prepared for them a great feast. 
You know the scripture says where you will feast before your enemies? Come on, someone. I, I will set a table before my enemies. That's it. This is what's happening right here. We're seeing all of, we're seeing all of these things right in, this, right in this passage. So he prepared for them a great feast, and when they had eaten and drinking, he sent them away, and they went to their master, right? I mean, there's, you know, it wasn't just one account. You think of all of the hundreds of people that were a part of this army that saw this happen. And the Syrians did not come on a raid onto the land of Israel. It stopped them from raiding. They were done. They're like, nope, we're done. So this is the thing. This is, this is what's crazy and amazing and then also scary at the same time. It's amazing because we see how God is for us and how he can supernaturally protect and provide against our enemies. It's scary that you can have two people in the exact same place and one can see what God's doing and one only sees the enemy and what he's doing. And that's in the church. Come on, that'll preach. For, for me, I want to know what God is doing. <laughs> I want to see, see him. I want to see what is God doing. I don't want to have my perspective uh, focused on what is against me. And I think that's what's happening in the church today, friends, is we are so focused on all of these things that are coming against us. We're so focused on all of these groups that are coming. Where That's not our perspective. Our perspective needs to be on the Lord. So, And this is the thing. This is what's crazy. He said that he shares with Elijah what was in his bedroom. So friends, number one, this is the thing. Friends, God wants to share with you his secrets. Do you know that? Like I said, this is a heavy message. Is that okay? Can, I, can we get deep today? Because I believe this is, I'm preaching this as not where I'm at. I'm preaching this as this is where I want to be. And hopefully you're listening to this as not this is where I am, but this is where I want to be. It's kind of like a teacher, right? A teacher teaches people not what they already know, but what they need to know to grow. And so, so this message, is, it's, it's heavy because it's I want to grow in this too. So God shares his secrets with Elijah. God wants to share his secrets with us. He wants to share his secrets about ourself, right? When you're intimate with the Lord, do you know God wants to show you things about you that you didn't even know? That's what's growing and growing in the Lord and becoming more deep is you start seeing why you do the things you do, the reason why you do. It's just because you getting to know the deep things of yourself. I remember when God shared something inside of my heart that was so deep, I've only shared this with one other person on this planet, and you guys know who that is, my wife. Because he shared something so intimate about myself that it was, it was, so, it was so heavy that I, I'm like, I can't even share this with anybody else. But he was showing me that because he was showing me myself, right? And the only person I've trusted that information with is my wife. He wants to show us intimate secrets about ourselves. He wants to show us about our future. He wants to show us about his kingdom. He wants to show us about what he's doing. He wants to show us what his plans are for the city. He wants to show us all of these things, right? God showed uh, in, in Scripture so many times what he was doing. For example, think of this. You got this man named Abraham, and Abraham is becoming a friend of God, right? And God asked himself, he said, shall I withhold from Abraham what I am about to do? What? What? 
Shall I withhold? And he didn't. He went and had a conversation with Abraham and told him. What did he tell him? He said, I'm about to destroy this city. I'm about to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And what did Abraham do? Abraham wasn't like, okay, go for it, God. Do your thing. They deserve it. <laughs> do it. Smite them. Let me sit back here and watch and pull popcorn up. We're going to watch the lightning bolts. They didn't say that at all. Actually, when he thought of that, he thought of his family that's down there in that town. And friends, for any of us that have a relationship with God, I think one of our perspectives need to be our family. And he, and he thought, God, oh. And, and he came before the Lord with humility. And he's like, Lord, I have to ask you a question. You know, he's like, please don't be mad at me. It's like, would you destroy that city if there were 100 righteous, 50 righteous, 40, 30, 20, 10? Would you smite them if there are 10 righteous there? And he said, I will not. So Abraham's probably thinking, all I do is got to find nine more. <laughs> all I got to do is find nine. There's at least one. My nephew Lot, he's there. <laughs> all I got to do is find nine more. But there weren't. There weren't. Remember I shared this, I shared this um, a few weeks ago. I said, can you imagine being in such a place when I talked about no? It said every inclination of their thoughts were on evil at all times. Everyone. That's everyone. Like even in this room right here, right now, there are people that have good heart, good intentions, right? Like, like, like you would step in front of a bullet for someone. Like, like you have, right? I mean, you, if, you're, if you've committed yourself to the Lord, if you've committed yourself to Christ, if you're on this journey, you know, trying to get a, a deeper connection with, with the Lord, you're applying the word of God to your life, then right, then in this room alone is more than what was during Noah's time. And the whole world was like that. We've never even seen that type of wickedness. Well, in, well in, in the scriptures during Sodom and Gomorrah, there was only one person in the whole city. Everyone else was evil. And we see that, right? When, that, when the angels came into the city, when they should be greeted and taken care of and brought into a, a place. Who's the guy that's doing it? Lot. And what's, what's the other men of the city trying to do? They're trying to grab these men, right, and have their way sexually with them. Just like I said, just evil. And so this is what's crazy. And so, you know, this is the other perspective. Say perspective. perspective. You have a man named Abraham who had a relationship with God. God shared his secrets with him. And then you have another man, Lot, who was also a righteous man. And I can go into Scripture and prove to you that the Scripture calls him righteous. Yet he was living in the midst of the, of, uh, of the evil. And the only one out of those two that God shared his secrets were with Abraham. God didn't, sh sh uh, Lot was minding his own business, not even realizing that he was on the brink of about to be in destruction. God was about to smite that city and God didn't even share that information with him. Because there's a difference between being a friend of God and not being a friend of God. And that's why this, is, this message is heavy. This message is heavy because God wants to make us a friend. And I want to just go ahead and say this. Um, we sing this song. I've, I've sung it. I love it. I'm a friend of God. Love the song. But I think that song is premature. Because if you're a true friend of God, he's going to share with you his secrets. God doesn't share his secrets with his servants. He doesn't even necessarily share them with his kids. I, like, I think of that for myself. Right? I don't share my intimate secrets with my children. They're my children. I love them. I provide for them. I'll give them everything. 
but they don't know dead secrets. And we can be God's child and still miss it not be his friend. <laughs> I told you this is heavy. This is heavy. Because God wants, like, like this is what's attainable, friends. Right? Right? God, man, okay. Okay, let's keep, on, let's keep, let's keep going on here. Because I, I don't want to jump ahead of myself here. God shared with Abram what was about to happen with Sodom and Gomorrah. Lot was living there. He was oblivious. I don't want to be oblivious to what God is doing because I'm blinded and distracted by worldliness. I don't want to be oblivious in what God is doing. Even though I'm God's child, even though I'm righteous, even though I'm living for the Lord, but still him not sharing what he's going to do because he can't entrust me with that information. So are you guys with me? Are you guys okay with this? Friends, Psalm 103, verse 7 says this. It says, he made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. So Israel knew what God did. Moses knew why God was doing it. As a child of God, as a person of God, as a person who is, who is in the body of Christ, we will all, we will know God's uh, acts. We're going to see them tangibly. You're going to hear, you're going to hear what God's doing at all times. Right? I mean, how many of you guys tuned to any part of, of the um, Asbury revival? God was saving people. He was delivering them. He was setting them free from stuff. What is that? You are knowing the acts of God. You are hearing that you're hearing what he's doing. Many of us in here have experienced what God is doing. I've experienced what God is doing on multiple, multiple occasions. But there was only one who knew why God was doing it the way he was doing it. It said, he made known his ways to Moses. But he knew his acts. People only knew his acts. You're not God's friend if he doesn't share with you his secrets. So I'm not saying this to be religious, but I'm saying you should not sing a song that you're not living. <laughs> oh my gosh. I, <laughs> I love that song. I do. I love Israel Hone. I love it. I'm a friend of God. He calls me friend. He's calling me to be his friend. He's calling all of us to be his friend. Are you guys with me? Are you getting this? Again, we might be a servant. We might be a son. We might be his daughter. But he only shares his secrets with his friends. Amos chapter 3 verse 7 says this. Okay. Oh, did I skip something? Oh, here we go. Yeah, yeah, I already said that. Yep. Amos chapter 3, verse 7. It says, For the Lord God does nothing without revealing what his secret to his servants, the prophets. So in Scripture, we see that there were a group of people that actually God shared his heart with. And in the Old Testament, it was his prophets. Why? Because his spirit was not upon the earth like it is after Acts chapter 2. Okay? So there were a specific group of people that he shared his secrets with, what he was going to do. And that's why the prophets, you know, uh, uh, Jeremiah, uh, Ezekiel, um, Isaiah, all of them. I mean, Amos, all of them. God shared his secrets with them. And it was their job to share that information with God's people. That's tough. So first, I think that we have to show faithfulness in that, that God, and this is the thing. It, let me say this. Your relationship with God completely depends on you. 
You have as much of God as you want. The scripture says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. So in this place, if you have a very surface and shallow relationship with God that does nothing to do with God's favor in your life, that he has more favor on somebody else than you, it has everything to do with your pursuit. He's already done it all for us, right? And you don't pursue him so that you can get a Barrett Madge or so that you can show how holy you are in front of everybody else. No, your pursuit of him is because you want a deeper, more intimate, personal relationship with God. I think it's so very vital that the church knows what God is doing on the earth. That way we can join him with what he's doing. And that way we can say warning danger when things aren't going the way they should go. Come on, somebody. You can say amen right there. Because he entrusts his secrets to his friends. And I want to be a friend of God. That's going to be my new song. I want to be a friend of God, so he'll call me friend. I want to be his friend. I want him to share his personal things with me. And it's not, and that's not just for my sake, and it's not just, even Moses said this in Numbers chapter 11, verse 29. Moses uh, said this, he says, but Moses said to them, are you jealous for my sake? Because in that time, Moses was like the judge of Israel. Everybody's bringing all of their problems to him. He's trying to sort things out for people. He was being exhausted by this. He gets <laughs> some incredible advice from his father-in-law. And says, you know, hey, spread out some of uh, your responsibility. And the scripture says that his spirit rested on all of them. And so in verse 29, it says, but Moses said to them, are you jealous for my sake? Would that the Lord's uh, people, or would that all the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put his spirit on them? Moses is saying, I wish all were prophets. I wish all had a personal, intimate relationship with God where his spirit was on them and they knew the, they knew the, the secrets of God. Wow. Wow. Following in that, listen to this, friends. Listen. Okay, this is very important. When God brought the Hebrews out of slavery, he brought them not to the promised land. We always say that. Where did he bring them? To Sinai. He brought them to Mount Sinai. Why did he bring them to Sinai? Not just to give them the commandments. Friends, he brought them to Sinai to meet with them. Do you know that it was always God's intent to reestablish the Garden of Eden with his, with his sons and daughters. It's always been his intent. So when he brought the whole nation to Sinai and he said, separate yourself for three days and come up to the mountain so that I can meet with you, what happened? Right? They all heard the thunder and lightning and earthquakes and they were all afraid and they said, no, Moses, you go find out what God is saying and you come tell us. Listen, no, yeah, I know it's funny, but please listen to me real, real closely, friends. That same thought pattern is still today in the church. Pastor, you go find out what God is saying and you, you come tell us, right? Priest, you go find out what God is saying and you come tell us. When God wants you to come to the mountain, friends, he wants you to come to the mountain. I want you to go to the mountain. Because <laughs> there's something so, I mean, can you imagine, can you imagine what, what could have happened if they actually accepted what God wanted to give them? They were afraid. Many of us are afraid. We're afraid to go in because we're afraid. What are we going to have to give up? Let me tell you, anything that you give up for the Lord, listen to me, friends, anything that you choose to give up, the scripture says that he will give us more and better. 
He says anybody that has given up a husband or wife or any of these things for my sake, he said he will receive a hundredfold. So anything that you think that, that, and this is what's really crazy too, there's things that we hold as sacred or we hold as important, and then when we give them up, we realize that really it isn't that valuable. And actually, God adds to us what true value really is. For instance, one of those things is like money in our culture. I mean, I mean, money is something that, that, that there's, people have such an intrinsic value on, on having this commodity. But once you let go of it, once you can actually open your hand and say, I'm going to live a generous life, I'm not going to hoard and just, you know, and, and, and put it all away and save it for the apocalypse. <laughs> you know, be, obviously be a good steward. You know, the scripture taught, you know, I mean, be a good steward, have some stored away. But I'm going to live a generous life. I'm going to live a life of an open hand. You will find that God will actually give you more significance in your life being generous than you ever would have being stingy. And that's why the only time in Scripture that he ever says, test me is with money. And, I, and I'm, this is not a, me, a message of money, but this just has to do with, with things that we hold on to. Because we're like, I got to have this. God can give us so much better. Are you guys still with me? They were afraid. They said, Moses, you go tell. You go find out what God. Preacher, pastor, you tell us. Friends, this is the thing. Jesus tore the veil. Not just for now pastors and leaders to enter into the Holy of Holies. But he tore the veil for all of us. If you know anything about the Old Testament, they had what was called the tabernacle. Go ahead and put that picture up there for me. Um, this is kind of this is a picture of the tabernacle back in the Old Testament. Um, you see like all of the walls, and then you see that's called the outer court. You see like where the, the little bull is and the, and the brazen altar. That's where they would do sacrifice. It's called the outer court. That's where people would come and they would give to the Lord. They would bring their offerings and, you know, sin offerings and all of the different things. There was an understanding of sin that I think the Old Testament people had that we kind of don't have because we don't see, we don't know the cost right? Like they actually, it cost them something for their sin. Like they would have to bring to the Lord bulls and, and animals and livestock and, and uh, flocks and, and, and grain offerings and all this stuff. They actually had to give of themselves for, for repentance and for offerings and all these things. So there, so they, there was a cost that, that they saw. And then obviously it became religious and all this other stuff. But within the context of this, there's something that's a deeper here. Go to the next slide. I try to zoom in so that you can see. I don't know if you'll be able to see it correctly. Now, the tabernacle itself actually has layers in it, and I don't know how well you can see. Oh, I guess you can see it pretty good. Yeah, okay, good. Um, I like this. <laughs> whoever, whoever made this, it's really cool, uh, this little uh, diagram here. Number one, you see that? That's called the Holy of Holies right there, back there. Nobody was able to actually go there except for one priest once a, once a year. And he would give a sacrifice for all, for all of the nation once a year in that place, the Holy of Holies. And in the Holy of Holies was the Ark of the Covenant. And inside the Ark was like the, the tablets, was manna. It was uh, inside of it was also Moses' budded, budded rod. 
that God budded, all these different articles were actually in um, that ark. But you have number three. This is the thing. When Jesus Christ died, when he actually, when he breathed his last breath, the scripture tells us that the veil was torn. You see that number three? That veil kept anyone from going into that sacred place, the Holy of Holies. No one could go in there except for one priest once a year. And, and some, uh, and it's, I guess it depends on which scholar you believe. Some believed that they would tie a, a um, you know, uh, something around their foot uh, just in case they died and they could drag their body out because being before the, the Lord, because it says no one can see the Lord and live. Right? Some scholars believe they did that. Other scholars believe that the reason they had the bells and, and pomegranates at the bottom of their tassels was because if they stopped hearing the bells, they knew that they, that guy died in the presence of the Lord. <laughs> That's pretty scary, isn't it? Why did God do that? God did that and he established that to show he was separate. He was to be treated as separate. That they, they had this understanding they couldn't just approach God however they wanted to. But then Jesus tore the veil. He tore the veil, that number three, that, 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 that shroud, that thick thing that kept people from accessing that so that God could speak face to face with us like he spoke to Moses. Now, many people, they like the outer court. It's safe out there. Give a few offerings, good. <laughs> Go back to living my life. And that's, there's a lot of people who, that's their life, they'll be, I'm good with, with how simplistic. I'm going to just keep my relationship with God simple. I'll stay on the outer court. It's safe out here. And that's fine. But do you know that God desires more than just outer court for you? He desires for you to come in and to meet with him intimately. You guys still with me? Okay. All right. Jesus paid the price and created the path for us to walk in the garden with him again, like in the beginning. And he did it through his blood. And he extinguished the sword of flaming fire. Do you guys know that, that part? When Adam and Eve, when they were ejected from the Garden of Eden, the scripture says that there was an angel who stood there with a sword of flaming fire. What did that sword of flaming fire do? It was keeping them from going back in there because they were no longer allowed in there. But Jesus' blood extinguished that flaming fire, that sword, just like he extinguished death from us. So you guys, there's just some, anyways, it's okay, it's okay. We're good, let's keep going. So number one, friends, God wants to share his secrets with you. And number two, friend, God wants us, he wants you to see beyond yourself. He wants me to see beyond myself. He wants me to see beyond my own current circumstances. He wants to, me to see beyond my own, everything that I'm going through. We get so short-sighted, don't we, friends? Um, we just are constantly, many of us can't see past ourselves. The majority of our focus is on us. We live in such a self centered, self-serving society. And friends, we as Americans, do you know that we are so self-centered and self-consuming that the majority of our wealth we create here in this country, we consume ourselves? So, just for, for, just for your information. Our prayers, our time is focused on ourselves. And I'm talking about me. I'm not, pointing the, the, I'm not pointing and saying you, I'm saying me. We're selfish. I say it a lot. I'm like, I know I'm selfish. I work hard to try to do my best not to be selfish, but man, I, I, want, I want to focus on me. We even, you know, me time, me, 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 me. But God wants us to see beyond ourselves. We can't see what he's doing if we're looking at ourselves. 
right? Do you know that? You can't see what God's doing if your focus and attention is on you. So this is the thing, friends. God prophetically named our church vision for a reason. Because God's desire is for us to have eyes to see. In Matthew chapter 13 and verse 15, it says, uh, this is Jesus talking, he says, for the people's hearts, and he's quoting obviously the Old Testament here. He said, for the people's hearts have grown dull with their ears they can barely hear, with their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them. Do you know that's God's desire? God's desire is that we truly see with our eyes. God's desire is that we truly hear with our ears, and God's desire is that we truly understand with our hearts. It's all about perspective. Look at your neighbor and say, perspective. Now, going back to um, Elisha and his servant, friends, the servant saw a problem, but the prophet saw potential. And that's how many of us, we can look at things and we can see the problem, or we can look at this is an opportunity for God to do something awesome. I mean, I mean, how many seconds did it take for Elijah to come up with the concept, I'm going to actually lead this, this army back to Syria, <laughs> and I'm going to hand them over to Israel? And how long was that journey? And then what happened? Potential. They stopped raiding. That's amazing. Their kids are now in a safer place because of something that one man did. Because he heard the secrets of God and knew what God was doing. Do you know that your relationship with God can be safety and security for your family? The scripture says that if you are married to a non-believer, that your righteousness, it like rubs off on them. That's the best way I could put it. They're being protected because of you. I don't know if you've ever, and, and, and the, you know, there's no, it doesn't really talk about this in scripture, but I've seen this in reality. And maybe I can attest to this, uh, Margaret. Um, I know that, like, like, your mom was a prayer warrior. And I remember uh, before uh, Joy and I got married, and we would go visit her, and she would show us this notebook where she had like 200 names that she, and she was in, she was in the nursing home. And every day, you had 200 names. She's praying for these people. People might look at that and say, well, I'm in the nursing home. I can do nothing for God. No, look at what she did for God with what she had. And I remember, I remember uh, uh, Vicky saying when she died, she felt a lifting off of them. Like there was a prayer covering that was being covered over uh, the family that she was lifting up. And when she died, it was like something was missing. Do you know that your relationship with God is, can be, and is the same thing? That your prayers and your life and your righteousness can be a covering for others. And so, friends, it is so imperative that we stay in close proximity with Christ because, friends, our family, it can be life or death for them, too. And like I said, there's no, like, scripture about this. This is, like, stuff that I've lived and, and heard you guys with me? Okay. <laughs> Why, Jesus? If you want to continue to get what you always have got, then keep doing what you've always done. 
If you want to continue to get what you've always got, then keep doing what you've always done. But if you want something different, then change what you're doing. What, is the, what do they say the definition of insanity? Doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results, right? Like if you're like, if in your, if in your heart you say, I want to lose weight, but then every morning you're eating seven-layer cake. <laughs> sounds like the best, sounds like a great breakfast, to be honest, for me. <laughs> like, what? Seven-layer chocolate cake? Mm, come on. <laughs> but, right, but, if, but if in my heart I'm like, I want to lose weight, then you got to change what you eat, right? Uh, if you're like, hey, I want to be healthy, you got to change. So, it's, so if you want to continue to get what you've always got, keep doing what you've always done. If this relationship with God, if this is all you want, then just keep going at it. But if something down inside says, I know there's more, press in a little bit more. That's all this is. This, this whole message is a call to deeper, a call to him. Jesus explains uh, that, you know, he, he does things on a different level, and his disciples who were walking with him didn't see, always see the reason why he did what he did. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go into John chapter 15, but before I go there, I just want to share this. Um, say perspective, because we're going to show you some perspectives here. So we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna just contrast the perspective of the disciples and the and Jesus, okay, perspectives, okay, when Jesus came on the scene, the disciples saw a throne, Jesus saw a cross, the disciples saw power and authority, Jesus saw servants and humility, the disciples saw demons cast out, Jesus saw Satan fall like lightning, the disciples saw five loaves and two fish, Jesus saw enough to feed 5,000. The disciples saw a raging storm ready to kill them. That's what they said. We're about to die. Jesus saw an opportunity to take a nap. The disciples saw Jesus setting up an earthly kingdom, setting Israel free. Jesus saw his kingdom reigning in heaven forever, setting all of mankind free. The disciples saw a sinful woman wasting perfume. Jesus saw an act of worship preparing him for his burial. The disciples saw an untouchable Samaritan woman. Jesus saw an evangelist and a soul winner who would win an entire town to Christ. The disciples saw a killer and a persecutor whose name was Saul. Jesus saw a disciple and apostle and was renamed Paul. Friends, this is the thing. Isaiah talks about it. In 55, 8 through 9, it says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declare the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. If you think your thoughts are God's thoughts, that is arrogant and pious. And, and it's error. <laughs> because... And that's what happens. We dumb God down to like, he's this and that and the other, and we're right, we're connected with God in this. No. <laughs> if, you're, if you're that person, if you're his friend, yeah, he can share with you what he's doing, but his, your thoughts are not his thoughts. The longer I serve Christ, the more I realize my thoughts are 
far vastly very separate than the way God thinks. I look at things and I think God should do it this way, and he does it the way he wants to do it. And you'll learn that very quickly if you become a parent. You want it done your way, your child wants it done their way. And then you have a conflict of interest. My thoughts are not your thoughts, and my ways are not your ways. Wow. For as the heavens are higher than the earth. So I'm saying all this to say this. Are you okay with God doing things in your life the way he wants to do it, or do you want him to do it the way you want to do it? I would much rather prefer, I don't know if I said that right or wrong. Let me rephrase. Do you want God to work in your life the way you want him to work? Or do you want God to work in your life the way he wants to work? Because if you want to do it the way you want to do it, you're going to put limitations on God. And you're going to tell God, well, you can only do this. And you know what? And you may make it to heaven, and you may live a good life, but you are totally going to miss everything that God wants to do. Because when God sees you, he sees so much more than you see. When God looked at Josh Hester at 18 years old, he didn't look and he didn't see a Northside hood rat who was uh, doing drugs, selfish, worrying, living uh, a life about himself. He saw the potential of what a young man could do. And he's still calling out potential in Josh Hester. And in the same context, friends, he wants to call out potential in you. And he sees in you greater than what you would ever see of yourself. And he will give you a perspective for you to see others way greater than you see then you see them as well. I talked about that a few weeks ago. I talked about agape love and how we can't really love people the way God wants us to love them unless he puts that love in us because it's selfless. Most of our love is self-serving. I will only love you when you provide services and love that, that coincide with my love. And as soon as you stop giving me that, I will stop loving you. For he wants a place in us, a love that goes beyond circumstance. Do you see what God sees? I'm going to answer that, nope. <laughs> and if you can answer no, <laughs> then the call is for us to be able to do that. Could you stand to your feet with me today? We're going to do something a little different. I'm going to have you stand. Usually I have you guys bow your heads. But I think, you know, standing is good, and it gets you from not being sitting. <laughs> Oh, thank you, Lord. Um, it's such a heavy message because it is a prophetic call that God is calling us upward. And, and you can say yes. And if you say yes, that's amazing. But you can also say no. And I believe that there, we have hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of Christ followers today that have said, okay, enough, God. This is, about, this is, this is where I feel safe. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord. We thank you for your scripture. We talked about the koinonia that we have with one another, this deep, intimate communion uh, last week. We talked about how we need each other, how we can build each other, how our lives are better together. But Lord, you're calling us to a koinonia fellowship with you, God, that is so deep and intimate that you want to share with us your very secrets. We see in scripture where you would even tell, you would tell John, don't write this, don't share this. 
<laughs> where you would, tell, you would tell Paul, you're not permitted to share this. You were sharing secrets with them, Lord. And not God, and we don't want God this to be like some boastful thing or some arrogant thing or some super spiritual thing. But God, you're just calling us to deeper communion with you, Lord. You're calling us into a deeper relationship with you. Jesus said, I no longer call you my servants. I call you my friends. And Lord, that's our heart's desire. That's my heart's desire. Is God, I don't want to just be a servant. I want to be a friend. And if that's your heart's desire as well, then just take a few moments and talk to the Lord. We'll give you a few moments. You're creating a space right now between you and God. You know, and sometimes you just got to close your eyes and not look about what's going on because I'm so easily distracted. That's why I close my eyes. And just focus on God. The scripture says we, he knows what we will ask before we even ask it. He knows. He knows the very hair on our head are numbered. We're fearfully and wonderfully made. Lord, you are calling us back into the garden with you. Or we would walk with God in the cool of the day like Adam and Eve. That's, that was the plan. That's, what, that's what the whole reason for Jesus. The whole reason for Jesus was to have intimacy with the Father again. And Lord, you're calling us to that. So Lord, I pray. I pray every lie, every deception. I pray everything that would want to hinder or block or manipulate us from getting close to you. And Lord, we lay down, because that's what it is. It's draw near to God and he will draw near to you. It's us deciding to lay down our rights, lay down our thoughts, and surrender. That's the key word, friends, surrender. And if you're willing, just surrender to the Lord. We sing that song, I surrender all, but do we really? <laughs> do I really surrender all to you, God? Or am I still holding stuff behind my back? Am I saying, God, you can have every area of my life except this area? Jesus, you want, you want us, Lord. You're calling us up. You're calling us deeper, God. Just a few, for, few more moments, friends, before I bless you. Thank you, Lord. Well, Lord, we heard the call today of, where, of you desiring to call us up, and so we're going to respond and answer that call in Jesus' name. And friends, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord's face shine upon you. May the Lord be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face towards you, and may he give you peace. In Jesus' name, amen.